Thank you, Stan. Okay. Um, yeah, just to kick off, obviously I, I preached this morning and uh, decided just to swap things out a bit and, and change it around for those poor souls that are here for a second time, so that it sounds like a completely different message. <laughs> and also, um, yeah, I, I just think it's, we, we feel that it might work better that way. So just to give you a background as to why I'm standing up here, uh, for the last two months, my wife Haley has been saying to me, you're going to be preaching soon. And I had nothing to, to support that claim, but she continued to do it regularly. Every time we were at a coffee together or, or just chatting about things of the kingdom, she said, just get ready, you're going to be preaching soon, I feel it. I left it, and then um, the, the devotion that Stan mentioned immediately after it was, it was posted, a, a, lot of, a number of my close friends that I trust a lot actually said to me, do you know what, there's a preacher in there. Um, there's, there's something in that and, and the church needs to hear it. So I thought, well, do I go and see Stan, knock on his door and say, listen, I've, I've got something and I felt, no, not, not to do that. A day or two later, I get a call from Stan and he says, listen, I think there's something in that devotion, please will you share it. So that's the, the backdrop, that's why I'm up here. And I, I, just, I do, do believe that God has shown me something very simple and I'm going to try and present it very simply, very, very quickly, not dragged out. And um, where we are right now, as Heather mentioned, uh, apparently there's a, a message from Ramaphosa coming tonight. I don't know what that's going to bring, whether it's another lockdown, whether it's more restrictions. I know in the UK on Sky News, I, I read last night that they are warning against the third wave. Um, and I just, I just know that, that so many people including myself, have really found that this, this past year has been tough. It really has. People have lost businesses. They've lost their jobs. Their, their hopes, dreams, and plans have, have been put on hold for who knows how long. So, you know, as we're two and a half weeks away now from the end of the year, so many of us just cannot wait to see the back end so that it's gone, it's a closed chapter, and we move on. But where we need to be really careful in times like this is that we take all these hopes and dreams and, and, and things that we want to do and expectations and dump it all into the next calendar year, which is 2021, and, and kind of capture 2020 as a complete write-off, and 2021 is going to be our salvation, our savior, our new opportunities. Because the reality is, as the clock clicks onto the 1st of January 2021, things might be exactly the same as they are now. They might actually be better, they might be worse. And as we go into March, April, May, who know, we just don't know what the future holds. I'm not a prophet of doom, I'm not speaking death over 2021, but we need to be sober and we need to be realistic about what the future holds. But there is great news. The great news is this, God does not work in calendar years. And by that I mean 1st of January through to the 31st of December. He works in seasons, and he works in periods of times, he works in moments, and he works in the suddenlies. And when I say seasons, I don't necessarily mean the length of a climatic season. The Bible talks about 40-year seasons, 7-year seasons, 40-day seasons, 
um, 24-hour moments and then uh, the blink of an eye. And Moses went through his life. His life was categorized by 40-year seasons. It was 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert looking after animals, and then 40 years in the wilderness. And uh, as I shared earlier, the, the whole 40-year season, I've never been really excited by that. I tend to sort of throw my weight behind the, the shorter seasons. So, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Trust in God's seasons. Don't trust in a, in, in, in a calendar year of 2021. That's not our answer. And um, because if it doesn't produce what we're expecting in terms of the calendar, we're going to be disappointed and we're going to find ourselves in a worse position than we are now. So be encouraged. Now in terms of those seasons... How long are they? How long do they have to be? And there's, there's a purpose behind the length of every season and every period of time and every moment. And it's dependent completely on what God is wanting to achieve through the process of that season and how we come out the other side. Because the, the thing is, he, he, you know, He doesn't just for the sake of it make us go through a season because He wants us to, um, you know, He wants us to grovel and He wants us to, to be stronger. Yes, He does want us to be stronger, but He's got a very specific purpose. Here we are now, we're under pressure, we, we're in a place where we, we don't know what the future holds, it's uncertain, there's a process we're going to go through, but on this side, there's an incredible future, there's, a, there's an inheritance, there's a calling, there's a promotion, and, and it's very specific to us individually and corporately as, as a church. So we just, we cannot afford to duck and dive these seasons when they come. So what am I saying? We're under pressure now from, on a global point of view. Um, some of us individually, our businesses have, have broken through and we're doing well, but on the whole, we are under pressure. It's a, it's a time, it is a time of, um, of, of, of not spaciousness and no, no abundance, generally. But the good news is, it's during these times of lack of uh, abundance and lack of spaciousness that God can show us things that He couldn't show us when things are good. And as an example, I mean, I just thought about it on, on Thursday, the prayer meeting was full, and I remember last year this time when there was no uh, lockdowns or, or, you know, things were great, there was abundance and there was spaciousness, there were probably a handful of people coming to the prayer meeting at the back. Now we're in a place of pressure, we're confined, we don't know what the future holds, and look what God's done. We had a full prayer meeting. So God uses these times to, to, to do something in us, and He understands our uncertainties. He understands fully that we, we're hesitant about this future, and, and, and how, you know, how do we step into it, and you know, what, what is our next step? And I'm 99% sure, or the reason I'm so sure that God has something for us on the other side of this is because 99% of the stories in the Bible over a 4,000-year period start off with God's people under duress. They, they're under pressure. There's, there's, there's people coming against them. They go through a process, and they come out the other side victorious, and they come out free. So, and I, I'm trusting this is a, this is a time now that, that God is going to do that with us. The worst thing we could do is go down into our basement, lock the hatch, and just say, look, we're only going to come out once this is over, once it's, once it's, it's gone, because we are going to miss something. 
When we come out and walk out of the front door and are prepared to walk into the middle of the storm and, and, and be present and be there, Jesus meets us there. Despite what's happening around us, He meets us there. So, <clears throat> this is where I'm going to kind of change route from, from the first preach this morning, so, so bear with me. Because it might, I, I might get lost, but I'll find my way back home again. So, I am going to be sharing about a story in, in the book of Daniel, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there's the big moments in the story that we all know about them surviving the fire and then about the, the presence of God in the, in the form of a fourth person. Those are the, the parts of the story that spring to mind as soon as, soon as we think about it. But it is the more understated moments that happen in the in-between lines of, of the big events that really show what, uh, that showed me, I believe, what God is, is trying to do and how it applies to where we are right now. But before I do that, what I, what I want to do is I actually want to share a personal fire that, that um, my wife has been through. And then I want to show you and demonstrate how it applies to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as I said in the first, in the first session, I, I wasn't sure if I, if I was going to get through the story because it's obviously a very sensitive uh, story. And at that point, I hadn't asked my wife if I could share it. But she, afterwards, she said, no, it was fine. Uh, but, but, but the reason I'm going to, I, I want to share it is because when we stand up here and preach, what we're not doing, what we can't do is just, just tell a story that has no background, that has no backing, that has no authenticity. And I really trust and hope that by sharing this, when I share the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it immediately brings a reality to what these guys went through. So what happened with Haley was after the birth of our third daughter, Tatum, she was diagnosed with severe postnatal depression. Um, Sandy van Furen uh, spent a lot of time with Haley at the time, and she actually came to us uh, after the first service, and she just said, I just want to tell you guys, as a, as a clinical professional, I have never seen anyone suffer from postnatal depression as bad as, as Haley did. Um, she, she was with psychiatrists, she was on medication, and they assured her, and me, because we, we, we had to walk through this thing together, assured her and me that she would be on medication for the rest of her life. It's okay, but that's, that's what, what the future held. And obviously I'm very mindful of, of getting into the whole medical side of treatment and, and, and all that. Each case is different. But in Haley's case, we, they, they sat us down and they said, this is your future medication for the rest of your life. And <clears throat> over that three-year period, I mean, there were times that Haley could not get off the lounge floor. She could not get off. Heather was there. Heather came to pray. The Hardmans were with, we, were with us on a weekly basis. People came and danced and worshipped over her, and I mean, I just got to, to my end. I, I, I asked God countless times, what is going on here? Why is this happening? 
why, why have you not stepped in before it's got to this point? Because the point that it's at now is almost beyond return. And for three years, every time my phone rang or every time I got home from work, I did not know what to expect. It really was, it, it was terrible. But despite not understanding the process that she went through and why she had to go through it, what I do know now in hindsight as I look back is that Jesus walked with her every single day. And by her going through it, what it did, as she went in, she went through a three-year process, she came out the other side, she came out stronger, she came out with a, as, a, as, a, as a woman with more authority, she came out as a woman that has levels of faith that scare me and challenge me, she came out... She, she's the most gentle woman I know, but she's got a backbone of steel. So God had to do that. I've seen her since, since she's uh, gone through this. I've seen the ministry that's, that, that God's released over her life. I've seen the authority that she speaks with. I've seen her influence on unsaved people. That probably would not be the case had God avoided, I'm sure God could have avoided that, and, and He wasn't punishing us, but He took us through a process together, and I mean, two amazing little sub-stories to that was one, Haley's greatest regret was she felt, well, at the time, she felt absolutely useless. She felt like she was good for nothing. She couldn't be used for anything. She was a terrible mom, a terrible wife. Um, she, she was just, I mean, the, the, the enemy had, had bound his lies around her mind to such a point that it couldn't have got worse. There was one step further to, to, to make it worse, and, you know, but Christ did not allow that to happen. So as we get, you know, as we get through that process, we look back, and another thing that God did was at the end of that three-year period, he didn't just take it away. He actually took us, he arranged circumstances that we landed up, we had to go to a wedding in Israel. I don't know how Haley got on the plane, but we did. And we went to this wedding and we were there for a week. And in that week, I just saw God day by day, just untangling these lies, untangling the, the bondage that, that, that he had wrapped around her. And we got on that plane to fly back to South Africa and we touched down here and she was healed. She was absolutely healed, and I understand now why God actually did that. But the relationship to the story and the comparison to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is, uh, I'll pick up the story where, where King Nebuchadnezzar is screaming at them because they will not bow down to this 90-foot golden statue that he's created. And they're standing firm, and the enemy is just, you know, he's there with all his governors and advisors and officials, and they're all putting pressure on these guys to, 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 to break, to actually release what they know is, is the truth and actually concede to what the enemy's putting pressure on them to do. But they stood firm, and they stood firm to the point that uh, Nebuchadnezzar got so furious, what does, he, what does the enemy do when we stand firm? He turns the heat up. And in this case, he turned it up seven times. So You've got to understand that, that in that moment, can you imagine the decision that these three men had to make? But, but their decision was clear. There was no hesitation. We will not conform to the things of this world because it would not be right and it would not please the God that we serve. 
So what ended up happening, they go into the fire, but what, um, what Nebuchadnezzar does first, he, he gets his strongest soldiers, calls them in, they bind these guys up, and they throw them in the fire. But if I can just um, read, or before I do that, the threat to their lives was so great that it would be reasonable to assume that had they kind of bailed at the last minute and said, Lord, actually, if we die, then we don't get to minister and advance your kingdom on the other, or next week or next month. So maybe just for now we can bow down just for a moment, get Nebuchadnezzar off our back, and then we can carry on ministering to, this, to, to the city of Babylon, which was kind of like the, the, the headquarters of the world at that stage. But they didn't. And the reason they didn't is because they knew that this whole event had nothing to do with their personal preservation and their survival. It had everything to do with advancing God's kingdom, so it was bigger than them. But added to that, God also had a very specific strategic call over their individual lives. And the only way they were going to walk into that strategic specific call was to go through the process. So what happened is, as they went through the process and came out, they were promoted. And what does promotion mean? I'm not talking about, you know, we think of promotion in, in our jobs and, and working our way through a company. But I believe in this case, the promotion that they got was a promotion in authority, a promotion in influence, which is the very thing that God uses. That's why He uses us to advance His kingdom, so that when we speak, it comes with authority, and people actually believe what we're saying. So <clears throat> I'm just going to pick up the story. I was going to paraphrase it for the sake of making a point. In Daniel 3, verse 20, it says, the king then commanded his strongest soldiers to bind up the three young men, which they did and threw them into the blazing furnace. It then goes on to say they were fully clothed and bound up. And then for a third time, the account mentions that securely bound, they fell into the roaring flames. So if what you can take away from that is clearly there's this focus on being bound up. The enemy is obsessed with binding us up. It mentions it three times in a short space of time. And the reason he wants to bind us up is because that he knows that a Christian in bondage poses little or no threat at all to his evil schemes. So it, it's absolutely imperative that he binds us up so that we're useless. So, at this stage, you can imagine you've got uh, Nebuchadnezzar and all his, his guys, and then on the other side, you've got all the believers and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's friends and, and fellow Christians, and everyone's going like, sheesh, what happened here? These guys are in the fire. We've heard, on Nebuchadnezzar's side, they would be going, well, we've heard about your God because you talk about him all the time. We're actually sick of hearing about your God, but what you've always said is your God will save you. You've always said your God will protect you, that he'll walk you through, and you will not come to harm. Look now, you're wrong. On the other hand, 
absolutely guarantee there were some believers that would have gone, shish, like we really, really were trusting that God was going to break in by now. It has been long enough. For us, in lockdown and these waves that are coming, it has been long enough. Lord, where are you? Where are you? You are sovereign. And it, it just reminded me that God is not the God of... A few years ago, there, there was, you'd often hear of God coming through at the last minute, 12 or 11.59 and 57 seconds, and then God arrives. But I've realized that God doesn't do that. He arrives at 5 past 12 or 10 past 12 or 3 o'clock. <laughs> and, and obviously that's, you know, who, who wants that? Who wants to have to go through all of that? But it's, there's an absolute purpose behind it, and he does it. And the examples, I mean, there, there's, there's two where Jesus, he's called to, to come and heal a young girl that's dying, and it's her dad that's come to Jesus and said, my daughter is dying, please come. But he, he can't come right away because he's busy with other stuff. Anyway, she dies. He arrives two days late. She's been dead for two days, but this, it, it really spoke to me. This is the Jesus that meets us in the fire. This is the Jesus that we give our lives to. This is the Jesus that we worship. He walks in, there's relatives, there's, there's extended family, there's friends wailing and making a noise. He says, please, everyone out takes the, the mom and dad in there with his disciples, and he, and he declares and strongly says, get up to this little girl, and she wakes up. So she's alive. And again, uh, Luke, on Thursday, Luke McDonald shared this vision of Christ as a little tabby cat, uh, a purry, furry thing that we can stroke and, and kind of nuzzles us from time to time and makes us feel good. That's not, the, that's not the Jesus we, we follow. Jesus we follow is the line of Judah. He, he roars. He's wild. He's untamed. He walks into rooms and he says, get up to a dead person, and they get up. That's the kind of authority that he carries, and that's the God that we follow. He did the same with Lazarus. He'd been dead for four days, in a tomb, arrives there. Just, he just starts instructing very clearly, very simply, where is he? He's at the tomb. Goes to the tomb, move, move the rock away, and they're all hesitant because the body's been in there for four days. He walks in and he says, Lazarus, get up. But he shouts. Maybe the volume wasn't there, but the authority would have been there. And Lazarus gets up, still bound up in his grave clothes, but he kind of walks up to the, the entrance of the gate, fully alive. And, and then the, the last thing Jesus says is just, unbind him, take these grave clothes off, and let him go. That's the Jesus that we follow. That's the Jesus that will meet us in the fire. When we faced with that moment, bow down to this 90-foot, 10-story high gold statue, or face the fire. Face the fire, because that's the Jesus that will come. So anyway... Getting back to, to the, the, the three young men in the fire. So they're in the fire now. They're bound up. Everyone's gone, Lord, you didn't arrive. The, the believers are, are going, Lord, you've let us down. We trusted you. Suddenly, the whole story, in a moment. Now, this is the, the, the moment that I was talking about. In a moment, Nebuchadnezzar jumps up 
because he sees something and he's amazed. What does he see? He sees three things. The first thing he sees is a fourth person in the fire, but for now I'm going to put that aside. The next thing he sees is that the three are unbound. Their shackles are off. And the third thing he sees is that they're unharmed. So who would, if you saw someone in a fire, and they were, fire was raging, they were in the middle, would you notice first that they just, they, they're actually alive, or would you notice that their, their shackles have come off? For me, there's, there's purpose behind God identifying that, that the enemy, that Nebuchadnezzar noticed that the, the shackles were off before he even noticed that they were unharmed. And the reality, the reason he realized, or, or the reason he jumped up was because the moment he saw those shackles off, he knew he was done, he knew he had lost, and he knew he had lost, he, he was probably embarrassed in front of all his, his people, but he knew that his scheme for these three young men had failed because he understood that a Christian that's not in bondage, a Christian that is free, is a Christian that carries authority, power, and victory in their walk with God, even if it is in the middle of a fire. So right now, we all, as we find ourselves in the middle of a kind of a global fire, we have the ability to walk with authority and avail ourselves and stand firm and let God do what He has got to do with us during this time. And it will be different for each one of us. And two things will happen. The shackles will come off us. So we, we, we get to a place where we are going to be so ready to do what God's called us to do in the greater scheme of things. And the second thing that happens is the strong soldiers who, you know, in, in my mind, I, I've always seen them as, as demons because they were the ones responsible for binding up the three young men. And that's what the demonic does. It binds you up. They were killed because the fire was so hot. So the demonic is sorted out and the shackles are burnt off and they come out with no evidence of being in the fire. Their hair is fine, their clothes are not burnt, they don't even smell of fire. And there's just this incredible freedom with no baggage. God's done what He's wanting to do. The, the, basically, the outcome of that moment on that day in Babylon is, first of all, uh, the, the God of Israel was glorified, the kingdom of heaven was advanced, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted in every aspect of their lives. They wouldn't, have been, they wouldn't have had that level of promotion had they opted for a safer, a safer route. So basically, <clears throat> the enemy's plan, what we can take from this story is the enemy's plan for all of us, including myself, is to bind us up, put us in the heat, and have us succumb to that heat. God's plan is to come in, take authority over the heat, and set us free. Actually use that heat to set us free. And that's, that's the call that he's got over our lives. He needs us to be free because that is how he's going to use us in a mighty way. Not to make us feel good. And you know what? Promotion in God is always interesting. At face value, promotion often comes when we're not expecting it and not what we expect or even asked for. But in God, when we get promotion, the second priority is that it's for us. 
It's great for us, and it's, you know, we, we, we're living in the fullness of our inheritance. But the main reason we get promoted and the main reason we walk into the fullness of our inheritance is for the greater body. God's <clears throat> got a plan for my life, for Stan's life, for my wife's life, for my kids, and they will all work together as we allow God and avail ourselves to His processes and get that's, that rubbish stripped off us and get the good stuff added to us and get us to a point that we can actually be really optimally effective for the kingdom. That's his heart. So now this is where flipping my preach around is, is going to get a little bit confusing. But anyway, thanks, Dan. <laughs> um, the, 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 the point being, why did we have to go through the fire? Why do we have to go through these fires? Why did they have to go through the fire? And I've got three points that I'd just like to share. Okay, so the first one is God has already mapped out a timeline for, for our lives. So he knows the beginning from the end. He knows what our future looks like, and he knows what we've got to go through because he's mapped out that timeline but the responsibility is on us because we're not robots, because we are given free will. The responsibility is on us to respond to God's invitation. And the moment we respond, what happens in an instant is that the resources of heaven are released over our lives. Now, those resources are not always financial. Sometimes they are, but I have made a list of, of just some of the ones that came to mind. So as you say, Lord... I'm drawing the line, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop straddling between the two, I'm in, I'm yours. This is what happens. We start to live our, our lives on a secure foundation. We plant it on a rock that we will not get blown over. We know who we are, we know where we're going, and we, know, we understand what God is doing with us. We gain the mind of Christ. So immediately the way we think is aligned with, with how Christ thinks. And because we're aligned there's, there's, there's revelation that comes and we can be used because we carry His mind. Um, <clears throat> we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is an incredible thing. It's, it's, it's so empowering. It, it allows us, um, it doesn't make us magicians and, and magical people, but it allows us to have insight into what is going on. And it allows us to make good decisions. It allows us to see ahead and it guides us when we don't know what to do. It's real. Uh, the next one is our faith increases. Now, it might seem like an obvious one, but I believe the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have gone the other way had it been for the wrong level of faith. Had they not had enough faith, they would have sort of opted to, to go the soft option and say, look, let's just miss this one out. Next time we, the big call comes, we'll, we'll go through the process. We're not ready now. Um, but I believe because of their faith, they, they made that decision to go through it. Um, <clears throat> a godly peace that uh, surpasses all understanding. We can find a peace in God that far outshines five days at champagne sport, playing bingo around the pool and tennis in the afternoon. It's a worldly peace. What we see as worldly peace cannot compare to, to the sense when God's peace comes over you, you can find peace in, 
at face value in the most horrific times you can find and access God's peace, which allows you to stand firm, which allows you to make the right decisions even when the pressure's on. Um, <clears throat> where there was once fear, there's now courage. So our life is not pulled around, you know, we're not pulled around by the nose through fear and, and you know, this is happening and that's happening. We, we, get, we get emboldened and we, we get courage in our hearts. Um, promise of, of, of hope for a future, promise of eternity, all these things come onto you as you say yes to Him. But specifically for this message, it means that Jesus will meet you in the middle of every single fire and storm that you find yourself in. Regardless, He will come. He is faithful. And then just to <clears throat> bring this to, into land, really to understand why does God really need us to go through these things? Because He is sovereign. He could zap us to the other side. We could do a detour around the whole process that we try and avoid. And we could get there and we could be fully equipped. doesn't work like that. As I said earlier, we're not robots. We, God uses and takes a process and takes us through it and gets us to the point that He can use us. But what, one, of the, one of the products that come out of when we walk through a process is we are left at the end of it with our own personal testimony. And a personal testimony is the most powerful thing you can carry as a Christian along with your understanding of Scripture and your relationship with Christ, because no one can argue with it. You've been through it. You've walked it. Now, <clears throat> if, I, if I look at Haley, she has authority to minister to people that are broken. She has authority, and she's empowered by the Holy Spirit, because her testimony allows her to minister to people that are drowning in anxiety, drowning in depression, and wow, that is such a real thing. Anxiety and depression, it's the, it's the most unexplainable thing, but it exists and it's real. And God is going to use her. She had to go through what she had to go through, but God was not only worried about her. He was worried about His kingdom. He was worried about the people and the broader community in His kingdom. And I've just... The, 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 our own personal testimonies are so important. And what we can do... In trying to, if we don't have a testimony and through, through whatever reason, we can end up living vicariously through other people's testimonies. So we, we get up here and we, we tell amazing stories of, of famous people and autobiographies and, and Bible stories, which are all, particularly Bible stories, they're, they're there for a reason. They are there to, to, to minister to us. They are there to reveal God's heart and how He does things. But for us, in ministering to people, there's more than just stopping at the big Bible stories. There's our own personal testimony, and we call to live it ourselves. So when my, my, my encouragement now, as we're facing what, what we're facing and with an unknown future, we face with a number of options as we go forward. We can take the path of least resistance, which I don't know what that would look like, go and go and live in the burg in a cottage for the next uh, year and then come out and see what happens. That's probably not the path of least resistance, but anyway. Um, we can choose a path that inconveniences, uh, inconveniences us the least. 
we can choose a path of least risk, or we can just try and identify what is the safest option available to us as we navigate this whole process. So you've got all these different options, and God is just saying, I have put this in front of you. It's not the world. It's not, it's not anything else. No, sorry, let me, let me just reverse back. This thing is in front of you. Regardless of where it comes from, this thing is in front of you, and I will take authority over it in your life, and I will use this very thing to take you through a process to achieve what I want to achieve in your life. So <clears throat> choosing the safe option, unfortunately, you're going to miss out on that process. So here we are. We face today, whatever the announcement is tonight, let's make that decision. We're actually going to walk through this process, and we're going to trust him. And, and just to finish with a, with a quote, I made a disclaimer about this earlier as well. This quote has no reference to COVID safety protocols and is not in conflict with what Stan shared earlier because it's about safety. This quote has everything to do about not choosing the safe option when faced with a fire. And, know that it, and knowing that it's the right thing to do. So the quote goes like this, and it's by a well-known Christian author by the name of Max Lucado. The worship of safety emasculates greatness. It basically kills the life of greatness, and God has called us to greatness because greatness will affect our lives, it'll affect the, the life of the community, and it will advance the kingdom. Greatness was what... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of that process. They had authority, they had influence, they advanced the kingdom. And he goes on to say here, no wonder why Jesus wages such a war against fear. Because fear may fill our world, but it does not have to fill our hearts. Thank you. That's it.